Uh, let's be opening our Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Sometimes Mother's Day is kind of a hard day to... Uh, I know for me, I lost my mom uh, in 2007, so about 11 years ago now. So Mother's Day is fun to celebrate with the moms, but kind of hard to. I know um, Christy, this is her first Mother's Day without her mom. So those of you who have lost moms... Uh, you know, we, we give our hearts to you as well. Sometimes it can be, can be tough, so, uh, but it's a till, still a great time to celebrate uh, their memory. Amen? All right. We're walking through the book of Acts, and we are focusing in how, on how the Holy Spirit takes ordinary people and emboldens them uh, for His work. Amen? Ordinary to embolden the Spirit's power in and through us. Is theme. And um, last week, uh, Grayson, our campus minister, did an awesome job preaching. And there was a great uh, breakthrough in the book of Acts that the Spirit, once more, there's a, a, a significant barrier to the advance of the gospel. At this, up to this time, the Jews in, in, the, in the church, okay? And so, the Gentiles, which most of us are of, of not of Jewish descent, so this would be most of us, weren't yet even uh, accepted into Christianity, into the church. So that's kind of a foreign concept to us, but it was a major, major uh, breakthrough there in Acts 10 with the conversion of Cornelius and how through that the Spirit ushered the Gentiles into the kingdom of God. Um, you know, really, when, when you study that, it's as much of a co conversion of Peter as it was a conversion of Cornelius. Because Peter had barriers in his mind that the Spirit had to overcome in him. And so you see this beautiful interweaving of the Spirit of God at work in Cornelius' life. and So the one who would receive the message and the messenger's life had to overcome some obstacles in his own mind. Because Peter really had labeled the Gentiles as unopen and not fit for God's kingdom. And that brings me to the, this idea of labels. Labels. You know, uh, it's very easy for us, and I think we do it without thinking, to see someone and we attach a label. Are you with me there? Whether it's racial uh, labels or cultural Labels, you know, um, we have, we, we, we quickly want to size up, well, are you conservative or liberal? And once someone's labeled, right, there can be issues of division. Um, how about uh, religious labels? Well, you know, those Catholics. Now, if you're of Catholic, we, uh, we love Catholics, amen? <laughs> um, but I've heard that grow, all oh, those Catholics. Oh, if you're Catholic, all oh, those Protestants. They can't get along. Uh, or the Pentecostal. Whoo, kind of crazy going on there. You know what I'm saying? Oh, the evangelicals. They could get some conviction. Oh, but the non-denominationals. Right? That's right. So you see how easy it is to, that these labels instantly divide us. Uh, and even that when it comes to righteousness, you have the holiness movements or holiness churches. Or you have old school or new school or things labeled as legalistic. Oh, that's legalistic, and I'm not legalistic. I'm free, and we have all these temptations for division. And what labels do is they can close our minds, feed our pride, 
and overcome our love. So instead of loving one another, we label one another and fall into our various camps. See, the Spirit uh, is opposed to that. Amen? The Spirit wants to bring us from all our different camps and make us one. And this is what we see go on, the beginning, really, of what goes on in the kingdom of God here in Acts chapter 10. And it's so significant that Acts chapter 11 Peter recounts this story to back in Jerusalem to the Jews because they're pretty upset. So we're going to read uh, chapter 11, 1 through 18, and talk about unity, and then we're going to go on to the rest of the chapter, all right? Chapter 11, verse 1. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him And said, you went into the house of those uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in the trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea Stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation. See, there's the theme of the book of Acts coming out right there. Boldness, openness. Don't hesitate to go where God is guiding. Amen? Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God. Does that ring a bell from Acts chapter 5? Remember Gamaliel said, if this is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. If it's of man, it's going to fail. But if it's from God, don't fight it, guys, because you're going to lose. right? And so Peter's saying, hey, I understand the struggles. I know this is against our culture. This is against the labels and the lines that we have drawn. But God is drawing new lines. Don't call anything impure that God has made clean. God is doing this. How can we oppose God? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God. Hey, good response, amen? Way to go, our Jewish brothers and sisters. They're just sincere. They're just trying to do their best and honor God. So then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Still had a ways to go, right? Even the Gentiles. Okay, well, we got a lot of work left to do, right? But it's a start. 
It's a start. And so the rest of the book of Acts, we see the Spirit breaking down these barriers and gradually the gospel breaking into uh, the Gentile world. And there's a ton of issues with unity. There's a ton of struggles with how, how, do, we, how do we do this and how do we get along and et cetera, et cetera. But gradually the Spirit overcomes all these barriers. You know, uh, um, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, the Bible says the body, verse 12, the body is a unit that is made up of many parts. No, it's all, its parts are many. They form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink. See, the vision of God for his family is that there should not be black churches or white churches, that there should not be rich churches or poor churches, that there not should be this denomination versus that denomination, etc., etc. The vision of God is a vision of all nations, all peoples, all cultures coming together as one in Christ. Amen? The truth, guys, that we're facing in the world is Sunday morning's the most divided hour in our country. And I think it's time we go back to the scriptures. Stop trying to reform the current church. Let's just go back to the beginning. Let's let the Spirit overcome all these barriers. And I'm excited to say that we are part of an international fellowship where we're seeing this happen by God's grace. You know, in the early 19... 1990s, 1991, in, in South Africa, in Johannesburg, a church, our church was planted there. And this was in the height of apartheid. This was when the blacks and the whites hated each other. Uh, something fierce and super violent all over the city. But when the church got together, guess what happened? The blacks came and the whites, it was even illegal for blacks and whites to be together in some places, but they came together and instead of hating one another, what'd they do? They hugged each other. They were a family. We're, I don't know if you've noticed yet in our church, but we're huggers, okay? If you haven't been hugged yet, just hang around. You're probably gonna be hugged, and I hope that you're okay with that. If you're not, okay, just say I prefer a handshake. That's okay, that's okay. But it's the, these, this intense worldly division united in Christ. You know, I love it even Today, when I uh, take my kids to our youth camp outside of Chicago, and one of the things that jumps out immediately is there's all kinds of races, all kinds of cultures come together. And these kids, Ellen has a, a, a picture. This is a picture of our kids um, at youth camp. Carter's even got the T-shirt on right there. But we see in one snapshot, right, we see all kinds of races, all kinds of cultures coming together. And, it, boy, it looks like they're really divided. Looks like they're really struggling to get along. No way, man. The Spirit overcomes that. The Spirit can overcome that. Um, one body, one, one nation, uh, one kingdom of God, one righteousness, Christ's righteousness. One body, Christ's body. One spirit, Christ's spirit. Amen? Um, that's the vision coming true here in the book of Acts. Okay. Let's, uh, uh, have you, have you, are you, have you uh, done some labeling lately? Have you done some labeling? And maybe it's uh, divided you. You know, in churches, common divisions are the homeschoolers. Oh, we got, you know, the homeschooler church. 
versus the public school. I'm happy to say in our church we got homeschoolers and Christian schoolers and public schoolers. And guess what? We can get along and not judge each other. Amen? Um, anyways, there's all kinds of things like that. We could go on and on. Uh, let's read here. Let's continue to read in, in uh, verse 19. We're going to get into... Uh, so now we, get, we start moving into Antioch. And Antioch is where we see... So we've had Cornelius, but now we start to see a whole church where there starts to be Jews and Gentiles uh, alike in Christ. Let's see what this looks like. Verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. You know, the second... the. The, the second point here is that the Holy Spirit inspires, prompts, and supports bold new adventures. The Holy Spirit is, a, is an adventurer. Who loves an adventure? Amen? A good, exciting, I don't know, I was going to say thrill ride, but that's, that's you know, who, a, a, an adventure, right? We all love an adventure. The Spirit loves an adventure, and He prompts us and He pushes us. Um, so here we see many people sticking kind of with the status quo, only speaking to Jews, but there's some. There's a few who are like, you know what? I heard that there was a Gentile that became a Christian. And the Spirit has prompted me, and you know, let's, the, the, I know there's a vision, and Jesus talked about it. Let's just speak to the Greeks too. Could you imagine the one who's like, uh, hi. And the, the Gentile's like, you didn't, you're supposed to talk to me. Yeah, but you know what? We're doing a new thing. We're doing a new thing around here. Uh, well, what about your Jewish you know, family? They're not going to like, you know what? They need to change. We're doing a new thing, and come, I, I want to talk to you about Jesus. And they're like, all right, let's go. And uh, um, good, that was good. Some of them, okay, verse, uh, let's see, verse 21. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The, the first sub-point here is open minds, open mouths, open hearts. Amen? Open minds, open mouths, open hearts. So often when we think about sharing our faith or, or, or sharing the gospel or inviting someone to church, what happens in our minds? Here's what I can tend to think. Oh, they're not open. They're, 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 you know, they're just fine, right? And our minds shuts off the spirit. Um, we have to open our minds and then open our mouths, all right? Don't hold back. Open our mouths. Now, I'm not saying you got to shove, shove it down their throat or be all super freaky religious and, and all that kind of thing, right? None of us really enjoy that. But you can share your heart. You can share your life. Amen. Uh, you know, I was so, uh, uh, so proud of uh, Christy and Rebecca this past week. They've had a friend with a, a lady uh, in the community for a long time, and they were talking to her, and uh, Christy's praying for this, and Rebecca's praying for this lady, and finally they just went up to her and said, you know what, can we meet for coffee? Because there's something we want to talk about. And the lady's like, 
Okay, sure, I'll have coffee. Why not, right? And they met for coffee, and they had a great talk, and they opened their hearts and their minds and their mouths, and this lady now wants to study the Bible. Amen? When's the last time we've done that? It's not that hard. It's not that hard, right? We just need to open minds, open hearts, open mouths. Okay, let's read on. Uh, verse 22. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Second subpoint is amazing grace, amazing change. Amazing grace and amazing change. They're like, man, we got it. Barnabas, go on up there. I, you know, you're from up there, right? Yeah, I'm from up there. Okay, why don't you go up there? You know these people. And so Barnabas goes up there, and what's it say? It says he saw evidence of the grace of God. Interesting comment right there, right? Interesting comment about how the grace of God, when it really gets into us, there's evidence in our lives of that, which means it makes a change in us. You know, for 20 years, I, I was around the grace of God. I heard about the grace of God. I was in church, and I looked at the cross, and I knew about Jesus dying for my sins, da-da-da-da, and yet I was still just stuck in my ways. I was enslaved to sin. I was just stuck. It wasn't changing me. It wasn't having a powerful effect in, in me. I wonder what he saw when it says he saw evidence of the grace. What are some of the things that you guys think? Let's go ahead and have a little, little interaction. What do you think he saw that was like, mm, that's the grace of God? Any thoughts on that? Wally. That's, that's exactly the first thing I put down. Amen? Joy, right? Uh, what else maybe he saw? Love. Love. There's a family magic in the air. Like, man, these Jews, Gentiles, connected. Whoa, that's the grace of God, right? What else do you think maybe you saw? Compassion. Compassion. We see that later on, absolutely. Humility. Humility. So all of these things, right, you can see it. You can feel it. It's so funny to me when uh, um, we have a campus ministry, and this is, you know, college students, I know this is your last week. Uh, <laughs> praying for you, stick in there, study hard, don't be a perfectionist, okay? It's all work out in the end. All right. Um, but uh, uh, it's so, I, I love working with the young people and the college students, and I love watching the grace of God change their lives. And the habits that they had, no longer they have. And the, the, the kind of closed off, quiet, into now they're just free and they're you know, flowing and happy and you just see the grace of God. And it's interesting though what happens, and my, my parents did the same thing, it's interesting what happens when families watch, start watching the change. You would think it'd be like, wow, that's awesome. They're changing. I'm so encouraged. Now my, my let's be honest, now my selfish you know, snotty, entitled little child is becoming giving and serving and thankful. Like, I've never seen this before. The grace of God, hallelujah. You know, no, no offense, I guess, you know, if that you're not aware. Uh, but, uh, and the, the, the parent, but it's so often it's like, what's going on? Getting some cult or something? Like, we freak out uh, at evidence of the grace of God. It's, we should be encouraged. And sometimes I feel like pulling the parents aside. I'm like, 
I know you think that your little angel is angelic, but actually they're struggling with sin. And you would be shocked if you knew what they were doing, but they're not doing it anymore. You'd be so happy. Uh, they come around after a while. Um, anyways, evidence of the grace of God. Do people see evidence of the grace of God in your life? Evidence. Not, not talk, not claiming, but evidence. Truly, when we get the grace of God, it changes us. And then it says that he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Wait a second. I thought if we got the grace of God that we're saved and we're good to go. Then we just kind of live however we want to live. It's not, that's not how it works, though, right? It says he encouraged them to remain true. Uh, that word means to hold fast, wholeheartedly devoted, wholeheartedly holding fast to God. One of the misconceptions about grace is that it actually gives us permission to hold fast to our sins, to our lifestyle, to our priorities, to our money, to our pleasures, and just to follow Jesus at our convenience. That's not what the grace of God does. It changes us and then it encourages us to hold fast uh, to God. Amen? Uh, let's read on here in verse, verse 24. He, Barnabas, was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. A good tree bears good fruit. Amen? Barnabas was just being himself. Dude was a good guy, right? Full of good deeds, good intentions, good heart. Was he struggling? Of course he struggles with his flesh, but um, he turns and overcomes by God's grace. Uh, good tree bears good fruit. Uh, but then it's interesting. Verse 25, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So Barnabas is plugging away here, and Barnabas is known as, what's his nickname? The son of what? Son of encouragement, right? So you kind of get the idea. Now, encouragement just doesn't mean, oh, hey, I love you. You know, you're awesome. You're awesome, too. That could be more like flattery, actually. Encouragement actually means to instill courage. It can mean to exhort, to implore. So there is a time when we need to say, hey, man, I'm with you. I love you. Time when we need to say, get your butt moving, bro. Let's go, a little spur, right? Hebrews 10, 24, a little pants, that's what I need, right? When I'm slugging out, hey, come on, let's go, man. Um, so Barnabas is that, but he knows that he's limited. He knows that he can't do this by himself, that he only has a certain, uh, certain strengths. And it takes great humility for him to say, you know what, if I don't go find a partner, if I don't go get help, this church is going to be imbalanced. This church can take on my strengths, but it's going to take on my weaknesses, and we better form a team. And this is what we see in the church in Antioch. We'll get it more into Acts chapter 13, but this team model of leadership is so powerful. Um, so he went, and what did he do? Uh, he went to look for Saul. And by the way, if we're fly, trying to fly solo spiritually, if we're trying to fly solo, you, you, here's what's going to happen. It's you're headed for a crash. Solo 
spirituality is unspiritual. It doesn't work. It's only a matter of time. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So, but uh, Barnabas is like, I got to go find Saul. Where's my good buddy Saul? And I, I think Barnabas is the unsung hero in the book of Acts. Okay? You got the apostles. They're great. We need them. And, uh, you got Paul. He's superstar. Okay? But I don't think there's a Paul without a Barnabas. Twice now he goes and finds Saul or Paul, and he hooks him up with the apostles earlier, and now Saul's doing who knows what out in Texas. And uh, he's like, man, i got to go get him and bring him, and we need a partner up here. And he goes and finds this part, seeks a partner. He finds a partner, and they come, and they work together. He went to look for Saul and brought him to Antioch. You know, from, Saul's, from Paul's perspective, we see this is where Galatians 2 comes from. And, and, and this powerful working here in the church in Antioch really bolstered his faith and helped him refine his call that, you know what, maybe, I'm, maybe I've got a call here to the Gentiles. Because look at all the Gentiles who are becoming disciples in Antioch. And he really attributes this time to really clarifying his call before God. Powerful partnership. That's the subpoint. Powerful partnership. You know, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Verse 9, here's what happens when we try to fly solo. If one falls down, and who of us is going to fall down? Who of us has fallen down this past week? Who of us is going to fall? Oh, I had a good week. Well, you're going to fall down you know, pretty soon. It ain't going to be long, right? That's the nature of our flesh. Hate to bring bad news. But you are fallen. We're all fallen. Broken, right? The best of us is a mess. That's what the book of Romans teaches us. So if you didn't fall lately, you didn't fall yet today, you're going to be falling. So the question is not if we fall down. The question is when we fall, what's going to happen? Who is in and around your life that is that partner in the faith? Because Ecclesiastes says when, when one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. See, when we're not intentional about seeking and finding partners in Christ, discipleship partners, prayer partners, whatever you want to call them, then when we fall, we will get worse. And I am so thankful for the, the friends that I have, Pe friends who are willing to look at me and say, dude, you don't think you fell, but you fall, and you need to, we're going to help you up. <laughs> All right? Accountability. Uh, people, friends who are asking the probing questions. I know you struggle with this. How's that going? Do you got a friend who can ask that question of you? I know, how, you know, you shared about your marriage. You're praying for your marriage. How's it going? And do you mind if I ask your wife? No, no, you don't be asking her. Okay, now I really am going to ask her. <laughs> right? A family that really loves one another. Not just flowers it up on Sunday, but really is deeply engaged in one another's life. There's one another passages all throughout the New Testament, but so often church is the least one another place in our lives. I remember uh, um, a dear uh, uh, man in, in my life that I was close to and looked up to, um, married for many, many years, and his marriage started to struggle. And they started to, to do some things that were unrighteous. And it started to be darkness in there. And that darkness started to divide. 
And yet this man was, uh, was, a, it was a, a high-profile leader in the church that he was a part of. And they started to divide, and, and ended up after 29 years of marriage, ended up getting a divorce. And this was deeply impacting. And I remember talking to both the man and the wife later, and I was like, what happened? And they said the exact same thing. Started to struggle, started to sin, started to have darkness. I was like, but wait a second, but you were, you were going to church at that time. I was like, did you tell anyone? Did you open up? Did you get any help? He's like, whoa, wait a second. Church is the last place you talk about that kind of thing. And he said, wrong. Church needs to be the first place we talk about that kind of thing, right? But we're so uppity in our religious facade that we can't get really real and raw and open and honest. Who is your partner? And when's the last time you had a really good talk with them about what's really going on? And who, when was the last time that you loved and cared enough to have a little bit of discomfort to probe on in to what's going on there? Who loved to go to the dentist? Anybody like to go to the dentist? Okay. There's a few. Uh, you know, talk about labels, okay? You just got labeled. And she's a dental assistant, so we'll give you a pass. My wife is one. I love this. I'm like, you just odd. Feels so clean. Um, we don't like going to the dentist, but we need to go, right? You know, those doctor's visits. Probably should go. I'm just gonna leave it there. Okay. <laughs> Seek a partner. If you're flying solo, I beg of you, implore you. Even, even if you've got a partner, but you haven't been open lately, please find that partner. Bring him into your home. Bring him into your heart. Bring her into your mind. You need them. And they need you. And you know what we learned a couple weeks ago? They need even your struggles. Because guess what? They're struggling with the same thing. They're just too afraid to share it. Okay? Open up. And lastly, is it last? I think it's last. Almost last. Here we find a very key principle about 21st century Christianity in how we understand the scriptures. It says the disciples, verse 26, were called Christians first at Antioch. Who was called a Christian? The disciples, right? So what's a disciple? A disciple is not a super committed apostle type Spiritual guru. A disciple is just someone who's decided to follow Jesus. A disciple is someone who's a Christian. A Christian is someone who's a disciple. For years and years before this hit me, I thought a Christian was just someone who believed in God, right? We acknowledge God. I'm born into a Christian family, Christian nation, Christian guy, da 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 da. And uh, uh, I, I hate to say it, but we're not a Christian nation. We're not a Christian nation. Okay, just because our founding fathers had a few scriptures into the thing doesn't mean that we're all Christians, okay? We're a Christian if we decide to follow Jesus, to repent and make him Lord and be baptized into Christ. That's what a disciple is. That's what a Christian is. A Christian does not mean you believe in God and a disciple is someone who's wholehearted. 
That's not, that's not what the Bible teaches. If we're not a disciple, we're not a Christian. That's what the Bible says. And we got to read it that way in order to really understand, whoa, like that, that, that changed me radically. Like, wow, Jesus actually has some expectation. Well, I thought there's grace for all the ways I've struggled. There is, and then there's an expectation called repentance, that we turn and follow Jesus. Amen? That's such a blessing thing. Oh, that mean I can't do anything fun anymore? No, actually, it means you can start having some fun in your life. Oh, well, the world has all the fun. Oh, really? Why is everyone depressed then? Well, I so if I really followed you, I can't have any fun anymore. I, I had 20 years of fun called discouragement and aloneness and drunkenness and impurity and immorality, right? And then I followed Jesus, and now the party started happening. Because now I got friends who really love me, and now I don't have to be enslaved to impurity anymore. And now I don't have to get drunk in order to be myself. Amen? They got you deceived. If you think that, you're just wrong. You're deceived. The world has deceived you to think that this is not the place for fun. Now, the goal is not fun, but boy, this sure is fun. I'm having fun. Okay. Disciple is someone who is called to follow Jesus, and they've chosen to be all in. By the grace of God and the work of God and the Holy Spirit in response to the word of God, but there is a choice that's made. These disciples left their home, left their family, left preconceived ideas about God, sins, and self, and decided to follow Jesus. And lastly, it is lastly this time. Verse 27, this is a beautiful thing. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire world. Okay, that's not the beautiful part. But it's coming. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, the Gentile disciples, the Jewish disciples, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. Living in Jerusalem, living in down there. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. You know, this passport to the land of the Nuth stuff, I think it's waking us all up to, man, like Travis, the water story. You know, I was even thirsty listening to him, right? <laughs> um, but could you imagine starving because of the famine? It's Mother's Day, right? Mothers, you imagine your children starving because there's no food. And you're a Jew. And you, your whole life, have looked down on Gentiles and hated them and viewed yourself as better than them. And then here comes Barnabas and Saul. And you come to church, and at church they have good news because they have food. And Barnabas and Saul and Peter gets up and say, I've got good news, we have food. Oh, thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, God. And it's the Gentiles who gave it. The Gentiles. You mean the ones that I couldn't stand? Now they're helping me feed my kids. That is Jesus. Amen? That's the Spirit of God. So remembering the poor isn't just, oh, here's my $5. No, it's Jesus it's the heart of Jesus, giving what we're able to help those who have less. 
That's what we must always be about and never forget to remember the poor. Let's remember, so we're going to take communion. And uh, um, uh, we believe in, in communion as just a time to remember Jesus. It's a time for memorial. It's a time to, to visit in our hearts and minds, to go back, remember who he was, how he died, what he died for, that he died, he was buried, but that he was raised by the power of God and that he lives today. Jesus is alive today. Amen? And that he lives. And we remember that and we call to mind the, not just that he's that, but what that means for us. It means redemption. It means forgiveness. It means filled with the Holy Spirit. It means death to the old life, raised to the new life, and that we participate in this together. And it's a unity thing. It's a family. Okay? Um, so that's what we believe about uh, communion. Um, but let's remember Jesus, that Jesus didn't just give a few dollars. He gave his blood.